it seems to me that the Lord has a rich feast for us today because I feel as though I've already absorbed a few sermons in how God has been at work. Um, And yet I believe he's got good news that has to do with what Pastor Gina just named for us. We've got further good news that will help us as we continue to embody the kingdom of God and live as disciples. Um, I also want to note that last week we heard a sermon about fishing with fireworks, fishing for disciples, and that's what I heard in testimony time, is our prayer walkers going out and fishing with the power of God um, and catching fish for Jesus. And so we give the Lord thanks for that and for his ongoing work with that. We are in a series called Restored. As we are being restored and as we work with God in restoring the earth. And so you might remember that we heard a sermon about um, restoring hope in prophetic words, restoring hope in what God says and that he does what he says. We heard a two-part sermon that included a couple swords about sustaining temptation. And we heard a sermon about being restored to catch fish. And so today as we continue on, I want us to be asking this question. What is Jesus restoring in this text? Um, And what does that mean for us as restorers? We're doing a little skipping around. We're going to move. We were in Matthew 4, and we're actually going to be in Matthew 8 this morning. But fear not, we shall not skip the Sermon on the Mount. We're coming back to it. It's, It's rich. But for today, we're in Matthew 8, and I'm going to be reading verses 5 to 13 talking about the faith of the centurion. So hear the word of the Lord. So after preaching this sermon and um, working in ministry, Jesus entered Capernaum. And when he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, Shall I come and heal him? And the centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. And he said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you have believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. This is the word of the Lord. Have you ever been in a situation where you did everything right and it still turned out wrong. Or you thought that you knew the rules or the system or the parameters and it turns out that's not how it was supposed to go. 
For many years, I, I drove the same commute literally six days a week. So, I mean, I could probably still drive it in my sleep. Doesn't even have a commute like this. Every day, same time, this is what we do. And on my commute, I'm, I am heading eastbound, and to my left, there is a coffee place. So you can imagine what happens for 8.30 traffic without a turn lane when we're going left, right? And so to mediate this problem, the 8.30 sea of commuters along with myself had developed a system where we just moved to the right and go around our left turners. My trooper husband is shaking his head at me already. So, so can you see it, right? Everyone's going this way. And if someone's going to stop us to turn left, we all go around right. Okay. Now, driver's ed was a long time ago for me. And in my brain, I thought, this is safer, right? Because if I hit my brakes, the people behind me have to hit their brakes, and it's this click, 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 right? Tim is with me. This is logical. <laughs> I am a person who likes to do the right thing. I am. And in my brain, this was the right choice. And so you can imagine my surprise when one morning I'm driving along, and someone's going to take that left to go get their coffee, and they didn't think about it very quickly. And two cars in front of me went around, and I followed and went around, and I make it about a quarter mile down the road. I got pulled over. And I'm confused. Like, I'm, I'm not speeding. Is my, is my plate light out? Like, I'm a pastor. My husband's a trooper. <laughs> <laughs> it turns out that it is very illegal to pass on the right unless designated, and I ended up with a ticket. I'm still a little upset about it. <laughs> but the point is, that moment, right, where it's like, but I, I, knew, I knew the assignment, and I did it. I think that feeling of shock would apply to the crowd following Jesus that were Jews. They had been taught their whole lives that the kingdom of heaven is reserved for sons of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. The banquet feast, the table was prepared for Jews who walked faithfully, who did the sacrifices, who lived according to Judaism. Judaism and the customs within that religion. And so for Jesus to stand up and say, friends, there's going to be Gentiles there. People are going to come from the east and the west, and they get to come and sit at the feast in the kingdom of heaven. And you know what else? There will be sons of Abraham and sons of Isaac who show up, and the door gets closed. Somehow they didn't know the assignment, and they will be thrown out into the place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. We're talking about hell here. The rule book seems to have changed. Like, the perception here just would have been, what? You know, it makes sense to us now, but in its context, this, this was radical. What Jesus is saying is that having... Religious ancestors is not enough to get us into heaven. So it's not enough to say, you know, my grandpa was a great evangelist or, or my parents were consistent churchgoers. Like that's not, that's not enough. Jesus is also saying that consistent religious practice isn't even enough. 
It's not enough to say, I went to synagogue for every high holiday. It's not enough to say, I went to church every week or I sent my kids here or there all the time. Jesus is saying it's not enough to be embedded in church culture. Um, we often hear the phrase, like, I was raised in the faith, right? I was raised in a Christian community. These are all wonderful things, but there's still more to this rule book. Now, this raises the obvious question. You can imagine these people in the crowd going, like, wait a minute. If this isn't the way, what is the way? When I first read this text, this line in here that Jesus puts at the end of a miracle was sort of um, abrupt or random to me. Like, Jesus, why can't we just celebrate (laughs) this miracle without this, what feels almost like a harsh or stern, very direct maybe, Word, But it's not a coincidence because the story that we've got with the centurion embodies what Jesus is actually asking for. It embodies the restoration that Jesus wants to provide for his people. And so let's look, let's look at the centurion. What does the centurion say about what it takes to get into the kingdom of heaven, what God is asking for? Now, the centurion is Roman. He's a Gentile. Now, it's interesting, centurions are mentioned, I think, like half a dozen times in the New Testament. And centurions would have been viewed by the Jews as the face of oppression, right? These, these are the people who rule over us. These are the people we think the Messiah is coming to overthrow. And yet centurions are always presented positively in the Bible. And so, so too, is this centurion. Um, centurions are what they call NCOs, non-commissioned officers, and so what that basically means is this is a man who has enough authority, authority to do a lot of work, but not enough authority to have the perks of it. <laughs> they don't make a lot of money. My husband was an NCO for many years. Um, you order a lot of people around. You're aware of a lot of information, but you're not at the upper echelons of society. So what you've got is a hardworking man who very much understands what it means to both take orders and obey them and also give them. He's a middleman. Luke also tells us in his gospel this story, um, and Luke tells us that this is a man who actually provided a synagogue for the people that he rules over, and it's said that he loves our nation, so he loves the nation of Israel. So we have this obscure sort of righteous Roman centurion who loves the people of God and supports them. And as I was researching this, there was a theologian who had a quote here, and he said, at the end, nobody can say, I would have been more religious had I not had this occupation. Like what we see from the centurion is that God has a plan and a purpose and things to do through anybody in any walk of life. And so we've got the centurion who's cooperating with the Lord We also see that the centurion is a man of compassion. Um, I read from one commentator that it would not have been unusual for a Roman, if they had a sick servant, to just kill them off or sell them. But this man uses a word, the word is pice, for his servant, and it actually means it can be used as like a son. He loves this servant, and he takes his sick servant and brings his needs to who this man of authority sees to be the most authoritative, powerful man in culture at the time. He says, 
Jesus, here is my beloved servant, and I'm asking you to do something to heal him. We also see that this centurion has great humility. For a centurion to approach a random Jewish rabbi and call him Lord, Lord. (laughs) He could have just said, hey, there's this Jesus Jew who does stuff, you know. No, he says, Lord. The centurion also says, Lord, don't, you, you, I don't deserve to have you come to my house. Now, this isn't because the centurion lives in a shack. The centurion would have known that in this culture, Jewish people would have seen it as unclean to go into a Gentile's house. Um, and this might be a little stretch, but I found this in- interesting. As a man of leadership, the centurion also would have understood that for Jesus to come to his house would have caused a public spectacle. Jesus would suddenly be in this PR nightmare trying to explain once again to the Sanhedrin why he was in a Gentile's house, yada, yada, yada. And so this leader is like, no, I know what it is to be pulled into unnecessary conflict and work. And so I just want to make this easy. I trust you. I trust that if you say this, it's going to happen. And so just say it. Deference to Jesus' authority. He sees Jesus' authority in a way that Jesus notes even those waiting for the Messiah don't notice. The centurion has astounding faith in the power and authority of Jesus. Now that word here for Jesus is amazed is like Jesus admires. Like have you ever thought about that, that Jesus admires the faith of humans? when they ask in faith for things that seem impossible and believe that he can do it. As I was thinking about this, I I couldn't help think about, um, like the centurion's faith is not that different from the faith of a child. It just asks for things without realizing what is and isn't possible, right? So, example, I, I stopped at Target a few weeks ago, and if you've ever been to Target, I'm sure we've all driven past the Target, they have these giant concrete round balls in front of the store, right? And part of that is branding, I think. You know, they've got the target dot, but part of it is like we don't want people to drive through our building. So so we've got these big, like, three-foot things, right? Well, my son is all about balls right now. He's about 14 months old, and he wants balls all the time, toy balls. And so we're walking into Target, and this kid is like, ball, biggest ball I have ever seen. I need it. And he asked me for this ball, like, Mom, ball. He has no comprehension that this thing is concrete, probably bolted to the sidewalk. But he asks, because I'm his mom. And he gets what he needs out of me. And it's not a question, right? Like, this is what Jesus is asking for out of us. Do you ask for the impossible, believing that I'm going to do it, not even thinking about the bolts and the concrete? Whatever stands in the way. If you go back to Abraham, God came to a people and he said, listen, I will be your God and you will be my people. Gods are present. They're receptive. They're active. Ancient people built gods to meet needs. It's what they do. It's what they're supposed to do. In some sense here, I think that Jesus is restoring an understanding of covenant. I'm asking you to be my people, and that means trusting that I'm your God, that I'm going to meet your needs when you come to me and you bring them. 
The centurion didn't add any fluff. He just said, I have a need. I have a servant, and I believe that you can heal him. Jesus was his God. He brought his need to his God. I believe that Jesus was saying to the people then, and he's saying to the people, us, now, I will be your God. I want to be your God. Put your faith in me, even when it's impossible. This word feels harsh, but Jesus isn't trying to exclude his people by saying, you'll be cast out. He's trying to show them a new way. Gone are the days of slavery to religious system. Those things are still good. But in Jesus, that's restored. In Jesus, the things that we couldn't accomplish are accomplished. He does the impossible for us. So what's at stake here? Why does Jesus feel the need to restore faith then and now? And I got to thinking, you know, we talk about this concept of saving faith. Like, I don't know that I've ever met, I don't know it's possible to meet a Christian who doesn't believe that Jesus will save them in the end, right? We have saving faith. I believe enough to get to heaven. But I think the question that Jesus has for us today is what role does faith play in our lives today? You know, it it takes faith for the prayer walking group to show up and say, Lord, I have faith that you want to move. I have faith that you speak. And I have faith that you'll give me words and power if I need it to go out. And so they wait. And God does what? He gives words and he shows up with power. And suddenly you have people encountering the risen Lord. You have people hearing the gospel and the way to salvation. As Pastor Gina was talking about what's going on with us as a body, it's going to require faith. It takes faith to go out to ask God to move. It takes faith to ask the Lord to provide for financial needs rather than picking up an extra shift or planning. Like, maybe we'll do those things, but do we ask first? Do we call the doctor or pray first or both? Like, where, where does the rubber of our faith meet the road of our lives, as it were? This morning I was thinking about living into the sermon. Like, what does that look like for me? And I realized that I was a little anxious about a few things. And so I just, I just raised, like, Lord, I need courage, and I need clarity about this thing, and I need some confidence, and I need tape, because my Post-its were falling off my paper. So I'm in the car, like, I don't have tape. I'm going to have to find time to find tape when I get into church, and I'm sitting there praying, and I happen to look in my purse for my chapstick, and what did I find in my purse? Tape. My husband looks at me like, did you summon tape? Because I had said to him, I need tape. (laughs) Friends, I don't remember when I put tape in my purse. I'm sure I did it at some point. I, I don't know. But the Lord knows. He cares about the huge things and the little things. And it seems quite simple if you boil it down. 
But friends, I believe faith is what's going to fuel those fireworks that catches people for the kingdom. And I think faith is what gives us that abundant, full life on this side of heaven and builds us mansions on the other side. And so this morning, I believe that he wants to pour out an increased measure of faith. And I think he wants to stir in us um, like an understanding of areas where we just don't even think about faith, expose places where we're not asking for him to move in the impossible. And I think he wants to blow us away. Amen? All right. So I think I'm just going to pray for us. And I'm going to invite the Lord to do that, to expose those places and to stir up asking. And then we're just going to leave some space. And I want to invite you to bring whatever you got to the Lord. And then in a few weeks, we'll hold the mic for you to tell us what God has done. All right? All right, so let's pray. God, faith is a gift from you, and it's also something that we will into and press into. And so, Lord, as we continue to meet with you, as your presence is with us, I ask that you would pour out the gift of faith in abundance. And, Lord, I ask that you would stir up unction within us to pray things that we just never would have thought of to to pray before or things that we would have been afraid to pray for before. And God, I ask that you would send your Holy Spirit to expose places that you want to work and that you would now help your people as your children to bring requests to you.